don't know what you thought about the book of Ecclesiastes before we took on this study together in the bridge, but uh, my guess is that whatever your thoughts about this book were, that, that they've changed over the course of this last semester. In fact, that's my hope and that's my prayer, that you've been able to get into this book and understand what Solomon's saying beyond that opening line that most people are familiar with, that vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. See, most of us don't really get beyond that. In our daily Bible reading, we come to this book, we read that, and we kind of go, okay, let me just buckle down and, and push through and get through this because this just is just a book about how life is vain and futile and pointless and, uh, and miserable. And maybe you used to think about this book that way. You used to think, man, this is a discouraging book, a depressing book. I don't even really understand why it, it is where it is in the Bible. I don't really understand why God wants us to, to know this book. My, my hope and my prayer is that after we've spent this whole time, almost 13, 14, 15 weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes, that now you have a better understanding and a greater appreciation for what Solomon was arguing. In fact, really what God was trying to get us to think about in this book. See, the book of Ecclesiastes, is, it's not a depressing book really at all. It's not a hopeless book. It's not a book to leave you uh, suicidal. It's not a book to leave you discouraged and downtrodden. It's not a book to make you frustrated with life. It's a book to get you over this life. The book of Ecclesiastes, and hope, hopefully you, you've tracked with us in our argument so far, is, is a book to, to help get you from living life under the sun to living life over the sun. It's a book that's meant to get you thinking about the things that really matter. It's a book that's meant to get you thinking correctly about the uh, the, the idols in your life and seeing them as that and recognizing the hopelessness and the vanity that is there in living this life for earthly wealth or fame or success or career or even for family, but understanding there's something so much greater to live your life for. That you and I can live our lives for the Lord, that you can and I can live our lives understanding that God gives us good gifts to be enjoyed here and now in a temporal manner, in a temporal fashion, but really what those gifts are meant to do is create in us a greater longing to get over the sun. See, Ecclesiastes is really a book about you and I living as aliens and strangers in this world. And it's a book written to us to make sure that we're not looking to be at home here in this world. And as we bring this series to a close, we come to the final two verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. And really these two verses summarize everything that Solomon's been talking about so far. These Two verses are the capstone to his argument. If these two verses aren't there, the, the two that end the book, and, and we'll spend some time in, in the two before that as well, but, but if this last section, I should say, is not there, then really the, the book isn't complete. If these verses aren't there, then really we walk away going, okay, we can draw some principles from this, Solomon, but, but what, what were you really driving at? What do you really want us to take away? How are you really wanting us to live now uh, after you've given us kind of all of this buckshot of what we should be avoiding and what we should be doing and how we should be forsaking things in this world and, and embracing others, what do you really want us to do with that, Solomon? This last passage is key to us concluding this series. This last passage is key to our full-orbed understanding of Solomon's argument in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, so grab your Bibles, open up Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. 
pick up with me in verse 9 and 10. Solomon says, Besides being wise, the preacher, Solomon, also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So Solomon is essentially writing that here to say, look, this isn't, this isn't just the ramblings of a madman. This isn't just the, the thoughts of a guy towards the end of his life who was king over Israel for a while and, and me just kind of going, well, let me write my memoirs. No, Solomon's saying, I've done other things besides this. In fact, I've, I've written and arranged many Proverbs. And I think that's an allusion to the book of Proverbs. And so Solomon's saying, look, this is, you can trust me in what I've said in here. That this is, is more than just my uh, deep thoughts with King Solomon at the end of my life. That this is, this is something to be taken and listened to and understood and applied to your life. But he goes on in verse 11 and he says, the words of the wise are like goads. Those were nails embedded in a, the end of the shepherd's staff to help with his shepherding of the flock. We'll talk about that. And like nails firmly fixed are, they, are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of the making of many books, there is no end. In much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You know, in a lot of ways, Ecclesiastes has been a a difficult book. I said it's not a a depressing book. It's not a discouraging book, but it it has at times been a a difficult book. It's been a difficult book to to read, to study, to preach, to, uh, I'm sure, listen to and to apply in our lives. Because there's things that we rub up against in Ecclesiastes that we don't like at first glance. There are elements to the message of the book of Ecclesiastes that when we read it, we think to ourselves, I, man, I, that, doesn't, that doesn't jive with what I want to be true. There are things about the book of Ecclesiastes that when we read them, we think to ourselves, man, I, I, wish, I wish that wasn't the way things are. Or there are commands that the writer of Ecclesiastes, that King Solomon calls us to obey in the book that we read and we think to ourselves, yeah, but I don't, I don't want to do that, Solomon. Or we read chapter two and we see him list all of the pleasures that he pursued. And we want him to say, and this is where I found satisfaction here on earth, but he doesn't. He says the opposite of that message. See, there are are, are painful elements in the book of Ecclesiastes. There are times when we feel that conviction. There are times that that we feel uh, the the discouragement of, of, of life under the sun. And yet those are the times that we come to. And those are the times as we reflect on our time in this book uh, that students, I want you to think about and be thankful for. I want you to be thankful for those hard times, those difficult times, those goads in the book of Ecclesiastes, as Solomon says. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, speaking of God's word, of the Bible, which the book of Ecclesiastes, right, is, is in the Bible. It's part of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. And he says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper. Notice the language he uses, that the Bible, the word of God, the book of Ecclesiastes, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing. Uh, Again, the language there, right? This is not gentle language. This is violent language that the writer of Hebrews is using to describe the work of the word of God in your life and in my life. That the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces 
the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And that's, we, we quote that so much, but, but I wonder if we really think about what the writer of Hebrews is talking about there. That the Bible, it, it, it takes an aggressive approach to you, your sanctification and, and my sanctification. That the Bible pierces, it's a sharp two-edged sword in the hand of the Holy Spirit going after our lives, laying us bare is the idea of verse 13, that we are splayed open before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That the Bible has a way of exposing what's really going on in our lives and in our hearts and causing us to come to the light. And then we have that choice as, as, as believers, as Christians, to then say whether or not we're going to repent from our sin and put it off or whether we're going to continue to harbor that or rebel against God. And the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to pierce. It's to use the word of God to expose those things, to bring those to light and to lead us into repentance. Well, students, that's what the book of Ecclesiastes has also been doing in your life and my life. And that's what Solomon is saying when he says that the, the words of the wise are goads. Goads. Again, that's, that's that shepherd's staff, right? The shepherd's staff with the nails or the tacks embedded in the end of it so that when the sheep begin to rebel and get off course, the shepherd uses the staff with the goads to discourage them from going in the direction that they should not be going. And that's not a fun process for the sheep. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I've never been a sheep and nobody's really ever goaded me before. But you can imagine being jabbed with a, a staff with a nail in the end of it to say, hey, don't go that way. It, it stops you from going in that direction and brings you back to the right path and the right course. Well, students, that's what Ecclesiastes is doing in your life, in my life. The words of the wise, the words of this book, the words of scripture, we can even broaden it to, to that full extent. That the words of God on the pages of the Bible are like goads. They're meant to keep us on the right path. They're meant to prevent us from straying. And there are times when we are straying, when we are going to bump into those goads, and it's not necessarily going to be a pleasant experience. Those difficult things that you read in the book of Ecclesiastes, those are the goads. Those are the things that God is using to reveal, to lay you open, to, to pierce between joint and marrow and to show you, you know, this is an area where maybe you've got some sin that you need to bring to light, that you need to repent of, that you need to let go of, and you need to come back to the path following Christ. And so students, we need to be grateful for those things, grateful for the difficulties, things and difficult things in the book of Ecclesiastes that we've studied this semester. Point number one is along those lines, it's this, praise God for the goads of Ecclesiastes. Praise God for the goads of Ecclesiastes. So when you read in verse two, vanity of vanities of chapter one, vanity of vanities, right away you get this message. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It sets the tone. There's that first goad that, that is kind of beginning to, to form our thoughts and our understandings and reshape our behaviors and our attitudes the way that God wants them to be shaped. Or in chapter one, verse eight, you run into this. It says, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. Solomon's introducing this idea that, that to, to chase satisfaction here on this earth is going to leave you weary and unsatisfied and unfulfilled. That's a, a goad that we don't like when we read this book. 
or Ecclesiastes 1.15, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, there are things in this life that you can't change. There are things that you wish that you could straighten out, crooked paths in your life that you wish that you could straighten out and make them go where you want them to go. And what the writer of Ecclesiastes, what King Solomon is telling us, and it's another goad in our life, is that, no, you can't straighten what God has made crooked. Or Ecclesiastes 2.11, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, it was all vanity and striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Again, a goad. If you're thinking to yourself that you, you're going to have a, a successful career and you're going to build a, a, a nice house right there on the beach and you're going to have the perfect family and you're going to have these cars and you're going to have uh, you know, a beach house and you're going to have a mountain house and you're going to have, have a house in the desert and you've got it all mapped out and your life all mapped out. Solomon is telling you, you're going to get all of those things and in the end, you're going to realize what he realized and that is that, man, that there's no benefit for those things. There's always something else that you're going to want. Those things won't satisfy you. That's a goad in the hands of God, shaping our thoughts and our minds and our attitudes and our behaviors. Ecclesiastes 3, 18 through 20, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. Verse 19, as one dies, so dies the other. Here's another goad that Solomon introduces here. And he's saying, look, if you're valuing life and you're saying, well, I'm alive. And that's where the, the greatest joy is to be found is in the 75, 80 years, if, if I'm healthy that I'll have on this, this world, that that's where satisfaction is to be found. And Solomon says, you're no different than an animal, if that's your mindset. As the beast dies, so you too will die. And they will go back to dust in their physical bodies and to dust we will return as well. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied. I mean, again, that's a goad, right? You read that and you go, I don't want that to be true. I want to think to myself that I can be satisfied with money. Solomon's saying, you can't, you won't be. This is one of the richest men that the world has ever known, saying you won't be satisfied with money. Ecclesiastes 6, verses 3 through 4, talks about the man with 100 children, and yet if he's not satisfied, Solomon says a stillborn child is better off than he is. Again, a statement that rubs us the wrong way when we read it and we think to ourselves, how is that possible? How is that possible? But it's God informing our minds, using these goads to cause us to think differently about this world, to get over the sun. Or Ecclesiastes 9.11, I saw again that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Again, a goad. We don't like that. We don't like that we can't predict life under the sun. But again, Solomon, God using the words of Solomon, using his wisdom, God is communicating to you and to me that goad that's saying, look, you can't predict life. And so you've got to get above and beyond what this life is all about. You got to get to, to trust and confidence in the Lord, right? These are all things that we should praise God for because what they're doing is they're causing us to, to be able to answer the question, how should I then live? They're leading us to be able to understand what the path to living satisfied really is while I'm here as an alien and stranger in this earth. They're things that we should be grateful for because these goads are for our good. I don't remember 
uh, everything that, that my parents taught me, but I, I do know that there were those times when I was younger that I, I didn't want to brush my teeth before bed, or I didn't want to go to the doctor, or I didn't want to eat the, the food that they put before me. And you guys know the routine, right? Because I'm sure you've had the same thing happen to you. And that is you sit down, you look at the food in front of you and you say, mom, dad, I don't want to eat that. And they say, I, that's great. I, I don't really care. You're going to eat it. Why? Because it's what? It's good for you, Right. So the, the parent looks at the child and says, you know, you may not want to do this, but you're going to do it. I'm going to goad you into doing it because I know that in you doing this, it's going to be good for you. I'm going to take you to the doctor and you're going to get your checkup because it's good for you. You may not want to, but it's good for you. I'm going to have you brush your teeth because I know that you maintaining your, your oral health, your teeth and your, your hygiene is going to be good for you in the future. I'm going to make you eat your vegetables and drink your milk because it's going to be good for your body, even though you don't want to do that right now. Well, likewise, students, that's what the book of Ecclesiastes, these goads are doing for you and I spiritually. They're the, the, the nutrients that, that God knows that we need, the spiritual nourishment that God knows that we need in our lives. And we might say, God, I, I, I don't really want to do that. But Solomon's saying the words of the wise are goads. Goads in the hands, not of the human author of the word of God, but of the divine author of the word of God. God himself is using these words as goads to shape us and to conform us and to lead us in the path that he knows is best for us. Because the one holding the goad knows what's best. The shepherd goads the sheep because the shepherd can see the big picture of where he's leading the sheep. The sheep don't know, and so they're tempted to wander off the path. Well, the shepherd brings them back with the goads because the shepherd sees the big picture. Students, we may wander because we might think to ourselves, well, maybe this is the best thing for us, and God is bringing us back because God knows the big picture. In Acts chapter 26, verse 14, Paul talks about the goads of the Lord and how irresistible they can be. Acts 26, 14, when he had when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So God was goading Saul towards faith and repentance in, in Jesus Christ, that he was goading him towards salvation. And Saul had been living a life kicking against the goads of God. And God is saying, Saul, that's a futile pursuit. That's a futile effort for you to kick against the goads, right? Or Proverbs 4.27. Proverbs 4.27, the writer there, King Solomon says, Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Students, the word of God is so crucial to your sanctification. It's so important in you staying on the straight and narrow path. If you want to say, okay, Solomon, I don't want to swerve to the right or to the left. I want to stay on the path. I want to stay centered. I want to stay with the Lord. I want to stay following Christ. How do I do that? You got to be in God's word because these are the goads, students. This is the sword that pierces between joint and marrow, that lays you bare before the eyes of him before whom we must all give an account, that, that uses the word of God to reveal what you need to do to conform yourself more and more to the image of Christ. Solomon uses another illustration here. He says, not only are they like goads, but they're also like nails firmly fixed. He says, are the collected sayings. There's debate to what he's talking about here, but, but one picture that I think is, is credible that might be what Solomon had in mind is the, the idea of the, the, the tent pegs being nailed into the ground to firmly establish the foundation of the tent. 
When that, that, that tent peg is nailed into the ground, that tent isn't going anywhere. It's firmly fixed in place, right? And so students, as, as you think about your life and you want to be consistent in your walk with Christ, the goads of God's word are also those things that are going to anchor you, right? That are going to put you in firm, estanched place, placement right in the, the center of the will of God where he wants you to be following Christ. The writer of, of uh, Ephesians, the, the Apostle Paul, says this, Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So Paul is saying, look, if, if we're not going to follow Christ, if we're not going to be in the word of God, then we are going to be those that are susceptible to being driven to and fro that we're going to drift. We are going to fall off the path and the goads are going to come and we're going to have to be prodded back onto the path. And so students, the, the word of God is to be cherished. And those difficult things, you should rejoice. You should give thanks. You should praise God for them because God is using them to sanctify you. And so I want to ask you, do you kick against them or do you embrace them? If you kick against these goads, you end up avoiding certain passages of scripture because you know it convicts. You end up skimming over certain texts because you know that that text is talking about a sin that you are battling, that you are struggling with, that you don't want to have to bring to the light, expose, repent, confess, and be done with. And so you skim over it or you excuse yourself from applying that text. Well, I, that, that's not really talking about what I'm really dealing with. And you appeal to a, a specific nuance of your sin, maybe, and you, you rationalize to get yourself out from under the, the instructive command of the Lord that you don't want to obey. Or you just flat out ignore it. You read it and you go, yeah, that's nice, but I'm just not going to do that. See, that's ways that you kick against the goads of scripture. But the other side is that you embrace them. If you seek to, to understand the goad, you seek to understand this difficult text, this difficult thing that you're reading more fully so that you can embrace it. You, you seek to examine your life to say, okay, why is this, why, do I'm, why am I feeling that pang of conviction right now? Why is this a painful passage for me to read? What's going on in my life? God, reveal to me what's going on in my life right now that I need to bring to the light, that I need to expose, that I need to confess, that I need to repent of so that I will be back on the path that you want me on. And then you, you look for ways that you can adjust your life to conform. You look for how you can change direction. Clearly, you've run into a goad. God doesn't want you going the direction that you're going. And so you need to change direction. You need to return to the path. And so that, that last step of embracing the goad is actually changing, correcting the thoughts, the attitude, the behavior to come back to following after Christ. Students, praise God for these goads. They're so important. Solomon knew that what he was writing was going to be difficult for us. In fact, he popped every balloon in this book that maybe you're holding on to from a perspective of life under the sun. And so he understood that it was going to be difficult. And I think that's actually why he goes where he goes next. Look at verse 12. He says, my son, beware, beware of anything beyond these, beyond what? The fixed collected sayings. I'm going to come back to the end of verse 11. Don't think I've skipped over it. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making of many books, there is no end. And of much study, there's a weariness of the flesh. See, Solomon knew what he was writing was difficult. He knew when we read scripture that we're going to read things that we don't like. And he knew the temptation is going to be for us to say, okay, well then what about somebody else's perspective? What if I set the Bible down? What if I go and read this self-help book over here? What if I go read this blog over here? What if I uh, listen to this celebrity influencer over here and what they're telling me about 
what life should be like. See, Solomon knew not that there were going to be Instagram influencers someday, but Solomon knew that there was plenty of different avenues for you to go out and find directives about answering the question, how should I then live? And Solomon knew that if you searched hard enough, that you were eventually going to find something that you could live with, something that was going to be comfortable for you, something that wasn't going to get too personal with you, something that wasn't going to pierce to the division of joint and marrow, something that was going to let you continue in the sins that you love. And Solomon says, beware of going beyond these things. See, here's the danger, students. All of those things that you can find out there, whether it's an influencer or a book or a philosopher, whatever it is, those are all the creations of man. They're they're thoughts of humans. They're thoughts of fallen human beings that they're putting out there and saying, this is how I think you should live your life. Now, I want to jump back to the end of verse 11 that I skipped over. Solomon says, they are given these words of the wise that are like goads, these nails firmly fixed in the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. And you'll notice in your Bible, in the ESV, that shepherd is capitalized. Why is it capitalized? Because it's an allusion to, it's a reference to God, right? It's a a reference to, to, to the Father. It's a reference to God. It's a reference, fast forward to John chapter 10, when Jesus stands up and he says, I am the good shepherd. Students, the the difference between your favorite philosopher or your favorite celebrity influencer and the word of God is the word of God is the word of God, right? And that creates an authority that's contained in these scriptures that trumps every other voice in your life. There is no other voice that you can put on par with what is contained in this book. This book is the final arbiter in our lives of what is good and what is true and what is acceptable and what we should be doing. And so this book is the final arbiter in us answering the question, how should I then live? And Solomon says, then my son, beware of going beyond these things. It's a warning right? It's the word that's used in Ezekiel 33.6. Ezekiel 33.6. Ezekiel, the prophet, is talking about the, uh, the, the, the priests, the prophets, the religious leaders of, of, of Israel. And he's saying, look, you have a job to do. You need to warn the people. It's that word, warn, be warned. You need to warn the people that if they don't repent from their sins, hey, judgment is coming down on Jerusalem. You are going to be carried into exile. This city is going to be destroyed. The temple is going to be destroyed, right? And sure enough, that happens. So Ezekiel is saying to the the prophets, you have a responsibility to warn the people. This is what Solomon is doing here. He's warning us. He's saying, be careful about going beyond these things. Don't reject God's word because it's God's word. Don't reject God's word and go on a treasure hunt for something that's going to meet your need. You will find it, but that's not going to leave you any better off. In fact, it's going to create a situation where you are far worse off when the end of your life does come, whenever that comes. Solomon says, beware of anything beyond these, the sayings of the wise, the word of God, the collections here. Point number two for us this week is this. Trust in God's word because it is God's word. Trust in God's word because it's God's word. And, and I'm repetitive in that point because so often we're like, oh yeah, it's, it's the word of God. Do you understand what you are saying when you say that? Do you understand what you are saying when you say that this book is God's word? 
the word of the creator of all things, the word of the eternal, all-powerful, omniscient, omniscient God, the word of, of the God who created you, the word of the God before whom you will one day stand to give an account, the word of the only God. And so students, we need to trust primarily, foundationally, first and foremost in God's word because it is God's word. It's not a book written by men with errors and contradictions, though the world may want to say that. The problem is for them that this book has been around for near 2,000 years, the New Testament portion of it, the Old Testament for much longer than that. And have you noticed that it's still being followed by millions of people and and there has not been an expose that has shattered the, the claims of Scripture? Why? Because they are true. They are true. And if you will apply yourself and if you will investigate, we don't have time to do that in this message, but I'd be happy to do that with you one-on-one. If you object, if you say, no, it is just the words of man and there are contradictions, let's meet together and talk through that. But I want to challenge you and say, if you will apply yourself and you will really search these things out, you will find that it is a, a word that is that is, you cannot find any error in or any contradiction or anything to impugn or anything to tear it down. It is trustworthy and reliable. And Solomon says to his son, beware of going beyond these things. I want to compare it, if I can, uh, to what's going on right now in our world with COVID-19. If you look up information on one news site, you're going to find something that they say. And then if you jump to another site, you can find something else that's going to contradict the first site. You're going to find somebody that says that this is the thing that you should be doing. And somebody else that says that this is the thing that you shouldn't be doing. You're going to find people that are like, this is serious and people are dying left and right and we need to shut down everything. You're going to find somebody else that says, this is a, a farce and a joke and a conspiracy and we need to open everything back up, right? You can look and you can find whatever you want to follow out there. And that's the wisdom of the world. You can look around and find whatever you want to follow out there. And in fact, that's the banner of postmodernism, is it not? That's the battle cry of our world. That's the the philosophy, that's the worldview of the world in which you now live and operate in which you are coming into adulthood in which you will raise a family. Uh, you want to identify as this? Great. Here's some information about how that's good and right and appropriate and okay. I, I mean, you, it's, it's, it's inane, really. It's, it's crazy. And Solomon was warning his son back in the, the days way before any of this nonsense was on the scene. He's saying, look, there's a danger in going out and looking for the things to scratch your itch. There's weariness in, in studying too much here, right? Because there's, there's truth to be ultimately found, foundationally found in God's word. So I want to address that for a second though, before you object. Here's what this doesn't mean. I'm not saying that there's no truth outside of the Bible. Okay, let me repeat that. I'm not saying that there is no truth outside of the Bible. There is truth to be found outside of scripture. There are reliable sources to be found that are not part of God's word. We see that in, in the Bible, Acts chapter seven, verse 22. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. God used the training of Moses in Egypt to be able to prepare him for uh, leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, right? Or you think of the book of Daniel when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel are all taken captive and they're brought to Babylon and they are put into the king's uh, system, the king's uh, training, the king's academy, right? 
And the only thing really that Daniel and his three friends protest is the food because it had been offered to idols first. And so they didn't want to defile themselves, but they still learned the customs and traditions of Babylon. And that ended up helping them out later on uh, in their lives. And so it's not as though we need to be hermits and shut ourselves in and say, well, all we're going to do is read this book and this book only, and we're not going to trust anything else besides this book. I'm not saying that, okay? This does not mean, and I'm not saying, again, let me add to that, that you can't read secular books. I'm not saying that secular books are all lies, that there's no truth in anything out there that's written by somebody who's not a Christian. I'm not saying that either. I'm also not saying that, that you should uh, look down your nose at, at, at everything that has the name science behind it. Okay, I'm not saying that either. Okay, I, I want you to be clear that, that I'm not saying those things. What I am saying is this, that you need to exercise caution anytime you're engaging anything that's not the word of God. You need to exercise caution. You need to exercise discernment. You need to think about what you are reading and that the arbiter, the standard for the the truth that we find in the world needs to ultimately come back to God's word. Does it contradict anything in the word of God? Does it deny anything in the word of God? When you come to a fork in the road, in other words, when you come to a place where you'd say, okay, the, the secular source goes this way and the Bible goes this way. Well, students, we need to always, every time, 100% of the time, let me repeat that. We need to always, every time, 100% of the time, follow the Bible. We need to always embrace and follow the Bible. Why? Because of what Solomon said at the end of verse 11, that the, the truth of scripture comes from the ultimate shepherd. It comes from God. It comes from the one who created the universe, right? The truth of man over here doesn't. It comes from his own interpretation, his own understanding, his own assessment of the world in which he lives. And so the word of God is the word of God, and it is always to be trusted because of that. Another reason why it's to be trusted when we come to the fork in the road is because the wisdom of man does not save, right? That was Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The wisdom of man is foolishness, right? The wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. The wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. Well, I want to be with God on that one. Because the wisdom of God is the wisdom that saves. Philip Ryken, who is a commentator, a theologian, said this, how many books have been written? An exclamation. He's saying, look, how many books have been written? And it's true, and, and more and more and more and more every single day. Especially now with the ability to self-publish electronically and everything, there are books upon books upon books out there. He says, how many books have been written? Yet, how little most of them are able to teach us about the knowledge of God or the way of everlasting life. Again, yet how little most of them are able to teach us about the knowledge of God or the way of everlasting life. This book teaches you about those things. Who is God and how can I have eternal life? This book answers those questions. This book is the book that gets you over the sun. It answers the question, how should I then live in the most significant and effective, in fact, fact, the only effective way. It's contained in the pages of scripture. Solomon then concludes, he says, the end of the matter. He says, look, beware, don't go searching for other things. Stay here, stay in the word of God. I believe it was Spurgeon who used to say, I read many good books, but I live in the Bible. I live in the Bible. Students, that's what we need to do. We need to live in the word of God. And Solomon says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. He's saying, look, I've made my argument. I've laid it out. 
You've seen it all. It, here it is. Everything is there as I've reflected on my life and all of the things that I've done well and all the things that I've done poorly. Solomon says, I've, I've laid it all out and here's the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Students, these verses should really come as no surprise to us at the end of this book. They really fit the bill for concluding Solomon's argument. As we've read the whole book of Ecclesiastes, and if you remember, we, we read through it in one sitting when we first started this series, and I would encourage you to even go back and do that again now that we've studied the whole thing. And we come to these, these last couple of verses and we read them and we should be nodding our heads going, yeah, that's, that's, that makes sense. That's the logical outcome of what Solomon has been saying. That everything that we should do, everything that we pursue, every ambition that we have, every dream that we have, every ounce of material possessions that we own or that we gain, every relationship that we enter into needs to be governed by a fear of God. This is the whole duty of man. Every sphere of your life needs to be encompassed under the umbrella of a fear of God. That reverential awe, we often describe it that way, right? It's a respect for God that sees him as God, that sees a healthy picture of his authority, right? And his power and his purity and his right to judge and says, I don't want to do anything to offend that God, right? that that mindset should govern everything in our life because this is the whole duty of man. For God, he says, will bring everything done in secret and every deed, whether good or evil, into judgment. And that's that motivation there, that he will judge. See, this whole series has been titled Beginning at the End because of these two verses. These two verses should be emblazoned above our, our beds so that when we wake up in the morning, the first thing that we open up our eyes and see is, is these two verses. It should be written on our mirror so that when we're brushing our teeth in the morning, we see these two verses. It should be put on the dashboards of our car so that when we're at a stoplight and we look down, we see these two verses. It should be on your computer case so that when you open up your laptop, you see across the top of the laptop, these two verses. It should be the lock screen on your phone so that every time you pull your phone out to check something, you see these two verses. It should be on your, your, your dinner table so that when you're enjoying a meal with your family, you see these two verses. See, students, you, you get the point. These two verses should govern everything. That's why Solomon put them right where he put them in such a place of importance, right at the conclusion of his book, right at the end, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. There's no other responsibility that you have that trumps your responsibility to fear God for why God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. See, your life is a, a, a series of opportunities for you to be sanctified. That's what your life is from beginning to end. Once you are a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe I should clarify that way. Once you are a follower of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you, your life, student, is a series of opportunities for you to be sanctified. Every single day, you run into opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And the decision is yours to either follow Christ, to be conformed to the image of Christ, or to say, yeah, no thanks, I'm going to follow my flesh. The decision is yours to say, no, I'm going to live over the sun, or I'm going to live under the sun. But see, our sanctification is not a set it and forget it thing. 
It's a daily discipline that we must enter into. And that's why this is a, a, a passage. These two verses, I would say, need to be memorized, need to be plastered anywhere that you can plaster them because they are such good goads for us to bring things full circle, right? They are guardrails in our lives. If we will keep these verses on our minds, then it will help us to follow Christ and follow him diligently and follow him well. And that's why our final point is this. Our third point this week is this. Begin each day thinking about the end. Begin each day thinking about the end. The end of what? The end of the day? Yeah, that's a good habit to get into. Start your day thinking about how you want your day to end. How you want to be able to look back over that day and think to yourself, what do I want to have done today? What do I want to have thought about today? And ask yourself, what do I want the the Lord to have thought about the day that I'm about to live, right? Think about the end of the, the day that you're about to live. Think about the end of your time in college. How do you want that to be thought of? And how do you want to look back over that time? Think about the end of your, uh, your career when you retire someday. How do you want to have lived your life to that point? Think about the end of uh, the, the time that you, you have as, uh, as a single person before you get married. And, and how will you have wanted to live that time, right? And then ultimately what Solomon has caused us to do time and time and time again in this book is ultimately to think about the end of your life. And that's what he's leading us to with these passages, these verses at the end, because there's going to come a time, students, whether Christ comes back before you die and calls you to be with him, or whether you breathe your last on earth and you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, if you're a believer, that is, there's going to come a time when you will have to answer for the life that you've lived. And you're going to talk about this a little bit in small groups, but students, there is a, a time where you will stand as a Christian before the judgment seat of Christ. And everything that you've done will pass before, whether good or evil. That's 2 Corinthians 5.10. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And students, I want you to live a life that you are thinking about that day. And I want you to fear God in the way that you live your life now because you are thinking about that day, that you are beginning every day thinking about the end, thinking about that time, thinking about that moment. And how do you want that moment to go? It's going to have to do with how you live your life here and now. Or for some of you students, you're not Christians and you own that. And you would say, well, I'm not a believer. I'm just doing this because I'm, I'm, I think it's got principles that might be helpful to me. Or you're doing this because mom and dad are still making you do this. Or you're doing this because you don't have anything better to do. Or you're doing this because you've got a facade on that you're trying to impress somebody or fool somebody. And you're not fooling the one who really counts, who's God alone. And students, there's an end coming for you too. And that end is far more fearful. Romans 2.16, Paul says, On that day, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. See, Solomon said God is going to bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So the life that you harbor is going to be brought into the light. And that's what Paul says in Romans 2.16. God will judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Or Luke 8.17, Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. And then here's the thing that I want to put before you, student, if you would say that I'm not a Christian, and I hope that this sends chills down your spine. And that's Revelation 20, 12 through 13. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. 
And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then following this, it says that they were thrown into the lake of of fire. See, students, the the judgment of God is not something to be trifled with. And I don't want to end the book of Ecclesiastes and end the series on such a somber note and a down note. And it doesn't have to be that. Because the key, students, for you is to understand that you don't have to fear this judgment if you have Christ is your savior. Students, that, that the secret, the, the, the true key to living life over the sun, the true key to really everything that Solomon has been talking about, though Solomon didn't know him at this time, a descendant of, of, of his, somebody that would come from his bloodline, that would come from the bloodline of his father, David, was going to be born in Bethlehem, that was going to live a sinless life for 30 to 33 years on this earth. And that sinless man was going to die on the cross for sin. Not just the, the, the sins of, of those that were living at the same time as him. Not just the, the sins of the time, those that were living in the time of Solomon or all the way back to the book of Genesis, but the sins that you have sinned and the sins that I have sinned. See, this man, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for sin, for your sin, for my sin. He took it to himself. He died on the cross. He satisfied the Father's wrath, this judgment that Solomon is anticipating here. When he says that we will all be judged by God. Well, for you as a Christian, if you are a Christian, that judgment, the full bore, the full weight of of the, the wrath of God was poured out on Christ while he hung on the cross for three hours. He suffered for your sin and my sin. This judgment that Solomon is talking about. And so that's not license for you and I to go out and live a life of total debauchery. No, that's now license for you and I to live a life that matters over the sun. Because now we can live that life in Christ. And students, if you're out there and you would say, I'm not a Christian, today's the day. Right now, this is the moment for you to repent of your sin, to say, I'm done with who I was. I'm done with my sin. I see it as sin. I hate my sin. I'm going to reject my sin. I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm no longer going to practice that sin. And put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior to say, yes, I believe and I trust that he died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. And in Christ, I have forgiveness. Then, students, you can truly live a life where you fear God and keep his commandments. You can live that life. You can live a life that does matter over the sun. You can live a life that does transcend what's under the sun. And you can read a book like Ecclesiastes and not go, well, that's depressing. You can read a book like Ecclesiastes and say, wow, there's encouragement there. There's hope there. He's answered the question, how should I then live? By holding out for me this concept that I need to live mindful of that day that will eventually come when this life under the sun is done. I do need to begin at the end. I need to think about that daily. And I need to allow that to impact the way that I live my life here and now. As I wait that time when I will leave this life, I'll be done being a stranger and alien and I'll actually be home where home really is and that's in the presence of God. So students, I, I pray that this book, again, has transformed in your, your mindset. I pray that your, your view of this book is different now than it was when we started. And I pray that it will impact you, not just now, but in, in the future, in the days to come, in the years to come, that every time you come back to Ecclesiastes, you'll think about it in a different way, that you'll think this is a roadmap to living life under the sun for what comes over the sun, and that you'll put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't done that. And that you'll fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is the whole duty of man.
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that the spirit does wield it like a sword and does pierce between joint and marrow. And we thank you that you take an interest in us to reveal yourself to us and to give us a book like Ecclesiastes that brings us face to face with the difficult things in our lives, the goads in our lives, Lord. We thank you for those. I pray, Lord, that we would be quick to respond to your goads and that we would be walking faithfully, pursuing after you, Lord. I pray that we would guard against looking elsewhere, against wandering and seeking other sources of, of truth and knowledge, but that we would always come back to the word of God and say, yes, but what does the word say? That we would choose to trust your word because it is your word. It is God's word. Lord, and allow us to have the, the, the proper mindset about the end, about what's coming, so that we will live our lives here in light of that day that is fixed in time. And none of us know what, when that day will be for each of us, but there is a day that is set in stone for each and every one of us. As you say in Psalm 139, that the days of our lives were written in your book as when there was not yet one of them. And there will come a day that we wake up and that's the last day written in the book and that will be it for us. Lord, help us to think about that, not to be depressed, but Lord, help us to think about that so that we can live well while we are here. That's been the message of Ecclesiastes. How should we then live? We need to live knowing that this world is not the end, that there's so much more beyond this world. So help us to live, not for what's under the sun, but for what is over the sun, for the sake and the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen.